Hey everyone and welcome to the Darkcast. This is DCI number 63 and I'm your host Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I got to talk with Todd Farmer, who is the writer for the film adaptation of Heavenly Sword. Um, we talk about kind of what the game is, the, the writing process. We have a great conversation, uh, delve into Todd's backlog, uh, specifically Jason X, which was one of his first films. Uh, just all around great conversation. Hope you enjoy the show. If you want to find out more information about Heavenly Sword or Todd Farmer, check out darkstation.com. In the show notes to this episode, you can find all that kind of stuff, links, videos, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, check out our Twitter, darkstation underscore com, to see when new interviews go up. And uh, subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes. We're the Darkcast. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. As always, thank you for listening. Now on with the show. on the Darkcast today. Todd, how are you doing? I am excellent. Good. It's been a good day. That's that's good to hear. That's We don't usually hear that on Mondays, um, which it's is when Monday? we report. That's what I hear. Oh, well, then, no, screw Way it. Way to ruin it, Jonathan. Oh, yeah, Way sorry. You know, that's, I, I like to ruin things. It's, it's what I do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's 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 good to hear. Uh, so, you know, we're coming up pretty close to the uh, the release of Heavenly Sword, the movie. Uh, which is what we're here to talk about. Uh, but before we kind of get into that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Uh, I am a redneck from Kentucky, living in California. Great. And, uh, you are you are in like kind. I'm from Georgia. Brian's from Florida. We're all... Georgia and Florida. Yeah. Well, that's just beautiful. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to do that right oh, there no, ever again. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Don't alienate our, our listening audience, Jonathan. <laughs> You're assuming we have a listening audience. We still don't have concrete proof of that. And I'm sure many of them speak like that. <laughs> There's three people in California who still has an accent. So, well, That's when I go all... home, they're like, what happened to your accent? Out here, they're like, wow, you're, where are you from? <laughs> now it works well for me. That's good. That's good. They, they can just say you're from anywhere, and it, it works. That is true. No, I came out. Uh, I came out to California in '96. I loaded up my uh, 486 computer in my uh, pickup truck with some garbage bags full of clothes, and never looked back. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, you've been writing for uh, for film for for a while. Uh, done a couple of movies like uh, The Messengers and My Bloody Valentine. Um, but you also worked on Heavenly Sword the game as as well as as the movie. Uh, what was it? What was it like, kind of getting into the the game from from film? I mean, it was great because when I started, you know, I started in in horror, which is what you used to do back in the day. Because back then it was only Dimension and New Line making horror films, and everybody else sort of looked down their noses at it. And so uh, it was once Scream came out, suddenly everybody was doing horror. So you you they wanted me to stay in horror, which was fine because they were, they were making a lot of horror movies then. But it was nice to work with uh, <coughs> Brad and David. I'd met those guys when they worked at uh, Tiger Hill, which is John Woo's company. And they never put me in a in a box where I could only do one thing. So we worked on, you know, we worked on all kinds of games. And, uh, you know, through different platforms. And, and it was great. It was nice to... Be, growing up, I mean, fantasy was, was the... That's what I liked the most, fantasy and action. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to be able to work on a video game, because I, you know, I started out, well, I started out with Pong, but I eventually, you know, my favorites were all the, the first-person shooters. I mean, I started with Doom and Wolfenstein and back when computers were slower. And uh, the, the number, when we, used to, we used to network all our computers so everybody would come over to the house and we'd, play, we'd have Quake 2 Deathmatch just for hours on end. And so when, you know, a game like Heavenly Sword... It's kind of beautiful because the story was really good to start out with, and uh, the gameplay was fantastic. One of you, one of you's played, right? Yes, yes, I have, and it was, and I, I absolutely agree that story was great. 
It was because you know, normally I would fast forward through. Well, not fast forward. I would try to skip through the cutscenes because I, I never really liked this. This I never really liked the stories. Did you guys ever play a game called uh, Painkiller? Mm-hmm. Painkiller was, was. I never a, beat it, but I played it. <laughs> well, but it, but it was a great. As far as just action, as far as just going in and just killing everything, it was a great game. But the cutscenes were all were all ludicrous. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, it, it was great to play a game like. Uh, like Heavenly Sword, where you, you actually, it was, it was a good story. There were good characters, and, and there, were, you know, it was emotional, and there were arcs, and it was great. So for me, you know, it's the first time I went in and said, you know, we don't, we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. We can make it more narrative for a movie, but as far as changing up the story, we don't, we don't have to do that. And so I was uh, very excited about that. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I definitely have to say, especially from playing the game, that uh, that that story it was it was incredibly engrossing, um, especially to, and it, it's neat kind of looking back and seeing like a uh, Naruko and such, you know, like a, a position of not only power but of kind of holding her own fate in her hands, like mm-hmm. knowing what the legend said and then deciding to do it anyway because she felt that was the right thing to do, um, oh, no. and and I was actually kind of upset that it was over as 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 quickly as it was. Because I could have, you know, I could have easily spent another four or five hours in that world. It was so, so just rich and engrossing. I felt the same way. I mean, it was what was great about her as a character. I mean, when you're when you're just when you're telling any kind of story, you want a character like that because she, I mean, she was alienated from her father and her people from from the moment she was born, and so she had this she had this weight that most people don't carry. So she is to some degree an, an every man and every woman, but. But she did what she did not because she wanted to regain the respect of her father or, or the respect of her people. She did it because it was the right thing to do, which is the most noble. And so, uh, you know, as far as a character, Noriko's awesome. And everything I've ever written, I've always, I've always liked the empowered female character in uh, whether it be video games or, or movies or, or whatever. And, and she was just, she was just perfect. Mm-hmm. How'd you find that, especially coming from like a horror background? Um, and, and a lot of times in horror, not only is it kind of uh, the women that are preyed upon, but it's also kind of the, the woman that ends up at the end getting the upper hand. Um, did that kind of influence, like, like where do you go, or, or where did you come into this story, uh, and how did you put your own spin on it? The, uh, well, the biggest thing is, is as far as, because, it was, it, because it's a game, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's based level, on, level by level. And so each level has its own arc. Each level has its own goal to accomplish. When you're telling a movie, that can be monotonous. And so we, we changed some things up. We added a few extra characters. We put in some twists and turns so that it would play out more with the first act, second act, third act, that sort of, of structure. But beyond that, you know, we didn't have to, we didn't have to come up with a, with, with a bunch of extra story in order, to, in order to tell it because she was a strong leading character. And, uh, you, you know, you have Kai who's her to some degree sidekick even in the game and uh, I always enjoyed playing Kai's character as, w- as well because it, give you, it gave you some uh, some choices to make yeah, and Kai uh, was great I mean even uh, like kind of six ask, access controls aside um, yeah. just kind of having somebody um, not only so different but also so um, kind of visually and like emotionally exciting like it was real easy to kind of see where she was coming from yeah. Um, and, and it was real easy to see why uh, Naruko cared so much about her. Yeah, and I, I loved the fact that she was so, just because of her past, and we added some to that story just to, so we could tell it from a, from a narrative standpoint, but just the fact that she was so childlike that she saw through the BS of men or the BS of you know the, the people at that time period, so she would cut right to the chase, and, and, and that was kind of nice, and, uh, and that was that's a fun character to write. That was that's what was, what was so great about it is these characters, even though they're from a video game, they weren't one-dimensional. They already had all of this depth to them, so it, it made it that much more fun to do the dialogue and that much more fun to do the interaction within the movie. Awesome. So, um, yeah, obviously, uh, Heavenly Sword is kind of right ground for for making a movie because. Uh, I remember when it came out, you know, everyone was talking about how cinematic it was of an experience. Uh, so it, it kind of, in kind of the large spread of Sony games, uh, it kind of makes sense uh, to go with that one, to, to go into a movie. How did you yeah. actually get involved with making the, writing the script for the movie, though? I had, 
Well, it goes back to Brad and David, and they're the producers on it. They okay. they were they were at Tiger Hill, and they had uh, at Tiger Hill. I think there was a we were creating a game from scratch, and I was brought in to sort of help write the story for the game. It was a game called Demonic. I know at one it point did. it went all over the place. At one point, I think it was. Uh, Why has he got him everywhere? All right, I lose you guys. Hmm? I'm no, I'm right here. here. Oh, okay. No, uh, we at one point Clive Barker was attached. I mean, it, it sort of it was a you know it was a fun game, and uh, I can't remember who it was with at the time, but the company ended up going out of business. The company Is, we were working was at. it the game? I think it was the the people that made like uh, Blood Rain, Blood Rain, um, yeah. tra- Terminal Reality, yeah, Terminal Reality. Yeah, they, they were the they were the developers on it. They were the ones who had originally come up with the story, and I forget who we went to at first, but the company, the. Um, the company that we went to through at first, which was the uh, distributor, they didn't like the story, and so that's why they came to me. And so we created a, a different story for the character that they had created and went through mm. that process. But then the, uh, we ended up with a different... Because the developer is the guy, who, the people who designed the game, and then there's, the I guess, the distributor. I may have the terms all, all messed up now, because it's different from the movies, and I would get them all confused. But sure. um, that's how I met Brad and David, and they came to me when they had the idea that, what if you took what if you took the assets from an existing game, and you took those assets, you tell a, you tell a story, you create a movie, and then where you have to go, where you have to go away from the game in order to tell the narrative story, then you just fill in the gaps with with animation. So you start out with the assets from the game, and then you fill in the gaps. And so it was a sort of a cost-effective and brilliant way to do it. And so that's how I got involved. And you know, we went through. So so I basically was forced to go away from my old school keyboard because that's how I played Quake that's how I played you know Half-Life everything I played you know on a PC or a, or a Mac I guess PC at the time and uh, so I was forced with Heavenly Sword to learn how to use a controller which annoyed me but I did find that <laughs> you know, I'm, like gra- I'm like my grandmother with the microwave I ain't using that but then I, I gave in <laughs> so, uh, so now I, I, I had to become proficient with the uh with the uh, controller. Sure, sure. Father. <laughs> I, I still have fits with the the PlayStation controller, and I'm just trying to move from the Xbox controller, so I can't imagine working with mouse and keyboard for a long time and then trying to go to controller. That, oh, I know. that would be I, maddening. I, I mean, I remember the, the glory of mouse look when that was first invented, and I mm. think that was American McGee and those guys who did it. So uh, it was just uh, to go from that to... To the uh, controller was uh, certainly uh, a bit of a shock for me. Sure, sure. So, was there anything in particular that drew you to Heavenly Sword um, uh, that you wanted to kind of make that your first game to, to movie adaptation? Oh, it was definitely the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's that's the game they came to me about. I had uh, I had mm. heard of the game, but I hadn't played it because you know I was still reluctant to to move to the. I had. I think, what did I have at the time? I think I had, at a couple of different PlayStations, I know I had PS3, I had, uh, I don't remember, I had several consoles, but I didn't play them a lot because I was so used to keyboard. And so this was the first one that I, I actually had to sit down and, and learn. And plus, I, I, there were two reasons to learn. One, I loved the game, and so I had to get better with, with the controller just to get through to the end of the game. Hmm. Plus, I needed to get to the end of the game because... Back then, when we were playing it, you know, you didn't have all the YouTube videos, so you were fo- you were forced to go old school and actually play the game to learn the story. And so, uh, but it was it was fun, and I uh, I have never looked back. Awesome. In, in playing the game and kind of experiencing it that way, um, were you involved at all with the uh, kind of the pre production stuff? So, did you see any like the motion capture beforehand, and then kind of sit through the game and just kind of look at it all at like the the crazy stuff that Andy Circus does and and just how how he how that everything was kind of brought to life and seeing your words kind of you know play out there uh, they were great they were great with me they pulled me in on on every process that they could and so I was seeing I was seeing early uh, all kinds of early animation uh, the I was Thomas Jane and I were were friends so he was when he was brought in I I'd known Tom for years I was you know, we would all we would do the Comic Con scene together, and so 
I knew him, and so you know they they sent me they would send me all of the basically uh, they would video the recording sessions, and that's so they could get facial structure and that sort of thing. And so um, so they'd send me all that stuff, so I could watch all of that stuff ahead of time as we needed to change things for whatever reason. I mean, it's interesting to write for animation because. You know, if you were to shoot this movie live action, you're you're 200 million just to start. I mean, there's there's no oh, way easy. It. just easy because it's so huge and sweeping and epic. But to to write an animation, at least for a writer, it's it's sort of freeing because, I mean, there's still a budget that you have to follow, but at the same time, you can create these you know big gigantic set pieces for a fraction, you know, pennies on the dollar of what it would cost to go to go live action, and so. It was nice to have that kind of freedom because you normally don't have that. So it was good to see how the the actors are reacting to the lines. And I've never been precious when it comes to to lines, whether it be movies or whatever. It's because you know when an actor comes in, I wrote the lines, but it doesn't mean they have to stick to those lines. They they have to they have to do what they have to do to make that character their own. Mm-hmm. And so and that happened you know that happened with this as well. I mean there there has to be ad lib. They have to have the freedom to to make it feel comfortable for them. And uh, I loved the process, I, and I still, even up through, I, they sent me, you know, I would see cuts of the film early on, and uh, and it was wonderful. And then I would, you know, turn around and say, you know what, because you know, because I wrote it, I would say, well, this character is, is saying this here, but then they're saying something else there, and that's actually kind of a plot hole, so if that was fixed, and, and it was nice that we had that go that back and forth, and they... You know, normally, certainly with the movie process in the movie world, once the writer's done, we tend to never hear from them again. I've been lucky because you know one of my partners was a director, and so he would take me through the entire process. So on both Bloody Valentine and Drive Angry, I, I was there every day on set and doing all the the rewrites on set and that sort of thing. So it was nice, but normally you don't get that, and I got that with this as well. So it was it was nice to be a part of the process. And, you know, so uh, I would love to do more with them. So you mentioned Drive made... Angry, so I, I have to know. Um, you got to write for Nick Cage. Was that? Did you know that you were going to to write for him before? You, like you kind of got real deep in that story, so you put in specific like he can go real nuts here, or was it just mm-hmm. kind of fascinating to just see him go to work? Oh, it was, it was, it, no, we we had no idea. I mean, we actually, uh, My Bloody Valentine was, was fairly successful, and so we already had plans, we already had the sequel planned out. And But in having the sequel planned out, we also said, you know, we're going to do this little dirty 3D road movie, sort of a throwback to to all these, you know, all these old uh, movies that we that we grew up with, or that our parents grew up with. And uh, we were going to go in, and basically the idea was for like a $5 million movie, a very, very small movie that we shoot while we're in post on My Bloody Valentine 2. Hmm. And, uh, and then we ended up, we went around town and went to different, uh, different producers, and we ended up going to Mike DeLuca, who was the, who was the uh, he was running New Line at the time when I did my first Friday the 13th movie. And so he greenlit my first movie, and then he came on board for uh, for Drive Angry, and it was great because we walk in the room with him, and he's quoting lines. It was just it was fantastic. And so he had just done, I guess he had just done Ghost Rider with Nick. Yeah, he just he he did Ghost Rider. So he went to so he sent the sent the script to Nick, and Nick Nick was on board before he even finished it. He got to the middle of the movie where we shoot him in the eye, and he was like, "I'm in." <laughs> and so, uh, but it was great because you know he. He's one of those guys because I had heard rumors that he was difficult. We didn't see that at all. He was fantastic. I mean, he showed up. He showed up on set and he he knew every line. He knew every line, and I didn't know every line. And I played a small <laughs> part in the movie, and, and I'm still line. What's my what's my line? You wrote this. I, I don't care. I don't know the line. <laughs> he, knew, he knew he knew every line. He knew my lines. He knew Amber's lines. I mean, he was he's really kind of remarkable at this stuff. And he knew, he knew what like he was the because when we first wrote it, we wrote it filthy. I mean, if if you're, uh, <laughs> I mean, every dirty word we could come up with it was in the script. And he's the one who came up and said, you know what? I'm not gonna cuss. <laughs> he said everybody in this thing cusses. He said I'm not going to. He said I want to. He, he said because of the journey that I've been on and because of where I've I've come from to be here, I, I'm not I'm not going to use the language. And you know we were like. That's brilliant. 
So it's just little things like that. And another thing that was a big deal because we had always, you know, High Plains Drifter was a, a big influence to Patrick and I when we wrote it. And we never told anyone that. And so Nick walked in and said, I'm, he basically said, I'm the stranger. He said, I'm, he said, this is High Plains Drifter. And we were like, you're absolutely right, dude. That's the way we, that's what we were thinking. We wrote it. So he was great. So any no any hope of um, adapting a video game and having Nick Cage star in it? You know what? If Nick likes it, Nick will do it. <laughs> As you said, Nick will do just about anything that, that grabs him. So uh, no, it's uh, he was he was so wonderful to work with, and he uh, and yeah, I mean he would if he likes something, he does it, and that's he's not really concerned with how he's going to look or how he's. I mean, he uh, he is yes, but only from the standpoint that he wants to be the best him he can be, and uh, and nobody does Nick Cage like Nick Cage. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, how's it? Uh, you mentioned like you were writing for you know writing for anima- animation is a lot different than writing for live action, um, especially yeah. with kind of the the big action scenes. Um, yeah. How much? writing do you actually do for that and how much is kind of left up to the animators to kind of uh, kind of put their own mark on it I mean it's um, every beat at least when I'm going through it every beat is answered I mean every every choice that the characters make every every action moment is there now when they start animating you know I may like I know I wrote one scene with because I was playing Warcraft, World of Warcraft at the time, and so I know I may I wrote one scene with the idea that it was taking place basically in Iron Forge. So there's a gigantic forge and all this going on, and then the animators change that up to their as they need to, and and I'm I have no problem with that. And so that's just sort of a part of it because they have they have their own vision. They can read the words and then see something completely different than what I had envisioned. Mm-hmm. And there's there's that that's all good. But as far as the yeah, what also changes are, are sort of the, the at least when, when you're writing it, you do write every punch and you do for the most part. I mean sometimes you you cut corners and say, Okay, you know, big fight sequence here and then you move on and you know that the choreographers are gonna gonna do that in live action and animators will do it. But uh for the most part you, you write all that stuff down, but it will change. And you know, what I've found is a lot of writers are precious about that stuff and they get all butt sore when it happens. That's just a part of the process. We're just a cog in a very big machine. And it is our job to sort of come up with the schematic, come up with the, the blueprint. I know some runners get all testy when you, when you say that, but that's the truth. We're, we're creating a blueprint to, to start with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you've got a whole bunch of people who are way smarter than we are who come in and make it all happen. <laughs> Fantastic. So w- would you want to do another um, game? Uh, if we are in the process, I probably couldn't talk about it. So I'm not saying we are. Sure, Fair sure. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I enjoyed the process, and uh, I think everybody involved did. And so uh, there's a there's a good chance that I would be interested in doing another. <laughs> and uh, but I mean, they're they're really I'm, look. I love writing horror, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna quit writing. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's just like. It always bothered me that producers and studios and they can all do any kind of genre they want, and nobody puts them in sort of a in sort of a box. But writers and sometimes directors, we get put into well, you know, they directed, you know, this guy directed this movie, so that's all he can do. Well, that's not true. And uh, writers write, and directors direct. That's you know, we tell stories, and mm-hmm. so it's been nice to work with these guys because it never even occurred to them that my writing. Halloween movie or a Friday the 13th movie would be an issue. They knew I loved games and we'd banter back and forth and we'd play games together and so they so it was nice and so yeah I, I love the freedom of them coming to me and saying hey what do you think about this game? <laughs> and I'm like I'll send you something in three hours. <laughs> and that's pretty much how but we've you know th- but it's just like the movie business because we have over the years Oh, I don't know how many games they, they, you know, they would call up and say, "Look, you know, we we could. What about this game?" And so then I would go play the game, and then come up with an outline for it. And sometimes, you know, five pages, sometimes thirty pages, a very detailed outline, and then we'd go out and try to get the job. And that's just like with the movie business. You do a whole bunch of free work, hoping that somebody's going to one day write a check. 
And sometimes you don't you don't get the check. It's all free work. And so it's it's been the same thing. So we've gone through several movies. We've gone through several. And um, you know, I'm happy to say that uh, I think we've done some smaller stuff. But this is our first uh, this is our first uh, big you know, this is our first feature feature length. And I'm pleased with it. I, I really am. It's I, I'm very happy with it. I've been disappointed in a couple of things back in the beginning, but this one, I really like the story, and I, I feel good about it. I, uh, you know, and it's 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 interesting because this has been a long this has been a long process because we started this. I want to say we started it probably 2008, maybe is when they first came to me about it. Oh wow, 2008 or 2009, and uh, so it's been. But what they were what they wanted to do had never been done, so it was a brand new idea was to take assets that existed in a game and then start from there and then build your movie on top of that. And so that was a new idea. And so it took a while to... It was sort of pushing a rock uphill for a while, but, uh, you know, it, it, we're, we're, about to, we're about to release, so I guess it's going to happen. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep, yeah, very close. So, so were all the, like, the, the character models, and I, I know you're not in the on the end of actually kind of doing all the, the digital stuff, but mm-hmm. from your knowledge, are all the character models and everything actually from the game? Uh, not or how how is that kind of working they, in, in language terms? All, they all started from the game. One downside to starting as far back as we did is that the animation the, the animation that we started with ended up becoming more and more obsolete as every year went by. And so everything that we started out with had to be updated over and over and over. And so, you know, just like if you look at the Bohan character design, you know, you know, it looks like in the beginning it looks like one actor. Now it, lo- it more favors a different actor, and that's because you know we kept we kept having to update the animation. And so, uh, even though um, they're certainly based on the characters that the pre-existing character, I think Nariko is pretty pretty solid. I don't think she's changed. Other than just being, you know, she probably has more pixels than she did back then. But uh, I think her design is pretty. Kai's design is probably the same. And then we've got a bunch of we've got a bunch of new characters in there who didn't exist in the game. Kyo uh, is a is a new character, and uh, the character that Thomas Jane played wasn't in the game. And so, um, so but that's been fun. Can you can you talk a little bit? I mean, obviously yeah, the movie's not out. Don't want spoilers or anything like that. But can you talk a little bit about um, kind of? adding stuff to it, because I, I think uh, with most people, when you kind of talk about <clears throat> uh, adapting a, a game to a movie, you're going to be cutting a lot of stuff out because the game's going to be longer than the movie. Right. Um, but then you also kind of have to add more story elements. So what was it kind of like adding stuff to it? Well, it was fun. I mean, and the thing is, everything that we needed was there. It was just done in a... It was it was created in a, in a, uh, a video game format, meaning... You know, Bohan comes with a, a number of generals who are sort of built in. But in the game, those generals are levels. So sure. basically, you go into this level and you fight this general, and the object is to beat that general. And at the end, it's either predestined that you do or you don't, and then you may face that general later. And so so we had to sort of change all of that up. And then it, the other thing was, through the game, Noriko is sort of... Not sort of. She is. She's more reactive because she has the sword... And she's running, so it's it's more about her trying to keep the sword away from Bohan in the game. She's using it, and she's fighting with it, and, it, and it, the curse is certainly taking its effect on her. But what we needed was a you know a goal for her, and so that's how we ended up creating uh, a couple of extra characters so that she we could send her on a mission, send her mm-hmm. on a goal. So even though she's being chased, she's also trying to accomplish something. And uh, and so that was that was one big addition. And then a lot of it was just take take elements that were already in the game and just adding some subtexture to them and some layers and so we added some story elements to she and Kai and uh, and to the Thomas Jane character and, and so that we could create some twists and turns for that, that would make the I would, I would hope make the story better but at the same time if you'd played the game it would be a nice twist for you because you're you know you go in and you think you know what's going to happen and oh okay I don't know I didn't see that coming and uh, and so that part was fun, and uh, and that's just the it, it's it's sometimes it's hard to do that. You just sometimes you have to dive in and just start writing and see what the characters do. Sometimes 
as the as you get more and more familiar with the characters, they'll sometimes make decisions that they're. And I know it's, it sounds like a split personality to even say that, but sometimes the characters will do something the writer didn't see coming. Oh yeah, no, I totally use that. You yeah. just go with it. Absolutely. So, uh, it's even that way in reviews sometimes. Sometimes you get to a point and it's like, well, I didn't think I thought that about the game. <laughs> Apparently I do. Well, I'm going to get letters after that one. <laughs> yep. Well, that's a good thing. Indeed. All right, uh, Brian, you have any more questions before I, we... I do, in delve? fact. Okay. It's, it's kind of a question and kind of like a compliment, and it's probably not one you hear a lot. Um... I, I looked at your wiki page and I, I saw that you wrote Jason X. And that's probably in my top three Friday the 13th movies. Let's take if a moment. For no to talk other about... reason than one of the last scenes where he comes across a holographic crystal lake and proceeds to beat one person with another person in a sleeping bag. Well, that's uh, well, that's that's an homage to one of the earlier movies. So, uh, Abs- oh, it, it absolutely was. And I was thrilled not only to see it, but just almost the utter joy that those girls were created with and then summarily like beaten onto each other with yeah no that was uh when you're writing a movie like that with any of the uh classic slashers it's okay to be disrespectful to, to the audience <laughs> <laughs> and and then smoke some pot and have premarital sex because that's, that's just right part exactly of it. and uh no it was yeah let's take a moment to talk about uh, the blame that i get for putting jason in space that that was me but uh but you know, at the time yeah, I knew it had been done before. Well, the 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 challenge was we knew that New Line didn't want to do another Jason film because they had Freddy versus Jason in development, and, and Freddy versus Jason had been in development for a long time because no one could agree on what they wanted the script to be. Hmm. And uh, and then Scream came out, and Scream really did change everything because when Scream came out, it failed. The first weekend, it made like six million. I mean, it was it, it tanked. And no one thought anything of it, but the kids, and, and including me at the time, because you know all of us when we saw it, it just it blew us away. So word of mouth took that movie and made it a giant. Hmm. And suddenly every studio started paying attention because you know they'd been looking down their, mo- their their noses at these movies, and suddenly they're like, wait a minute, so you can shoot these for this much money and you can make a hundred million dollars? <laughs> and well, so yeah, next you know. Like, <laughs> Within a week, everybody was making horror movies, and so it was. Uh, and as a, as a result of that, um, we well, that's just the the Freddy versus Jason change was a problem. The problem was Freddy versus Jason was about ready to go, and when Scream came out, everyone started second guessing. Wait, maybe this needs to be a little more tongue in cheek. Maybe it needs to be aware of itself, hmm. and so. That's when we decided to. Uh, that's when Sean, who owned uh, owned the franchise, decided, you know, I'm going to make just another Jason movie. And so uh, they, we knew New Line didn't want to do it. And I actually, I knew going in that uh, Mike DeLuca hated the, I say hated, that's probably too harsh. I know he was tired of the Crystal Lake Jason, and he was tired of lightning and religious stuff bringing Jason back to life. So I uh, set him in the future because we didn't want to screw with Freddy versus Jason. We didn't know what they were going to do with their timeline. So the idea was to set it in sort of a Blade Runner world. But I was later told that that was too expensive. And so I said, well, you know what? I love <laughs> Alien, and I love Aliens, so let's do that. And it never occurred to me that it would, uh, that we couldn't. So um, certainly say something about naivety there. Well, at least there's one person who's, who's, uh, who thought, who goes back and thinks very fondly of that film. I don't know. I think there's like seven people out there. Yeah, you know, we're a very small-knit group. We've got T-shirts. Yes. It, no. It's okay. Half of them are, are made of metal anyway. So, <laughs> no, it's been you know it's been fun because the thing is you know nobody went to see it in the theaters, but uh, it's had a great life in DVD. Yeah, I can't I can't tell you that I paid to see it. Um, I did I did see it on Netflix. Yeah. Um. So I, you know that I'm sure there's some sort of money thing that they work out on that side. So I was when it came out, I I wasn't you know that well, there, but I did explore it later, and I have come to appreciate it in a a very fond manner. Well, I went with probably uh, ten of my ten of my best friends at the time, and we walked into the theater at uh, Universal City Walk, and literally there were three other people in the audience, and it's a giant theater. And I looked around, and I was like, "Okay, well, my career is uh, is yeah. started." Yeah, and, uh, yeah and I could run, Todd. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. well, that was that was fast. <laughs> I didn't know that would end. You know, one of the funny things that I've noticed over the years is that uh, Jason X 
I never expected Uber Jason to be on the poster or in the the trailer. I sort of thought that would be the that's the surprise at the middle of the like, movie. That'd be the surprise reveal that nobody yeah. would know that he was absolutely. And, yeah, my thoughts was you know people would come see the movie and then they would leave and say you've got to see this because you won't believe what happens in the middle. Hmm. And um, that didn't happen. That was on the poster. And the same thing with uh, Drive Angry because you know we wrote Drive Angry so that you don't know where Nick Cage is from until the middle of the movie. Matter of fact, you don't. It's never. It's never said. No one ever says he broke out of hell. But they say it in the trailer. We never said it in the script. And, and on the poster itself, I mean, the big yeah. tagline is "All hell breaks loose." And we're like, oh, okay. Well, that we didn't see that coming because if if we knew they were going to do that, we would have, you know, we would have written the escape from hell because you know if you're gonna if you're not going to surprise the audience, then you might as well show it. We mm-hmm. didn't show it because we didn't. We thought it was a surprise, and so. Literally, we're two or three weeks from the release, and they're like, "You have to see him breaking out of hell." And we we're like, "No, duh!" <laughs> and so we had to create it all in CG, and, and it, you know, and it looks like it was created in CG. So there are some certainly some regrets with that, maybe. But there are regrets with the thing is, the marketing today sort of runs the studios, and so you, you know, I I know going in now that I'm more aware that you know you have to just make peace with the idea that if you have a big surprise there's a good chance that things are going to end up on the poster because that's how they sell movies mm-hmm. so, so that certainly changes the way I think when yeah I think. and that does make a whole lot more sense because I, I don't know how many times I've seen a movie where you know there's something that's given away on the, the box art or the poster or the trailer or whatever and then the movie acts like it's a surprise and I'm like but but you already told me that yeah. like six months ago. I... And that's because the movie thought yeah. it was a surprise. I mean, the movie, right. yeah. you make the movie, you, you think it's the surprise. And so, I don't and know. I can't a... count the number of movies where, where I'm, I'm sitting there in the theater actually going, okay, well, this isn't going to end yet because they haven't shown this part of the trailer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's that's nice true. when they show you the end of the movie in the trailer. Oh, yeah. that's great. No, it's, uh, and, and I get it. Look, there's a lot of competition out there now, and, and movies... The movies aren't making what they certainly the smaller movies aren't making what they used to, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I get the pressure. And uh, you know, but it's I used to tell friends, you know, people would ask about about writing. They, they're like, you know, what, what what advice can you give a new writer? And I'm like, don't be a writer. This is the best advice I can give you. Go do something else. <laughs> but uh, if you're if you're stupid and you're gonna do it, then you know the the best advice is. You have. It's not your job to tell the best story you can tell. Your job is to take some really stupid notes and make them work. <laughs> and that's that's the job of the writer. So uh, the guy at my uh, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, do it. What? Oh, I, I, I thought I heard a question. Oh, oh no, I, no, 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 no. I was just laughing. I the, I don't know. The, the guy Sorry. that uh, my mentor when I first moved out here is a guy named Dean Reisner who uh, wrote Dirty Harry and High Plains Drifter and uh, oh. a bunch of great old uh, Eastwood movies. And he used to say, basically, you go in and you argue three times and then you cash the check. And uh, and it's that's been good advice. Good to know. Do you, you guys probably don't get uh, uh, one of the writers on here, so we're probably wasting wasting time to the listeners. Uh no, it, it's great for me. I I. I like to write, so it's all good. Um, I, I used to listen to the uh, the Nerdist uh, writers panel pretty yeah. religiously. Oh yeah. Um, but then after about a year, I realized that they just started having the same people on over and over again, and I was hearing the same stories. And I was like, okay, I think I've gotten everything out of this podcast. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no uh, writing process. I I, I love it. I, that's what I went to school for. So. Uh, well, I certainly liked because uh, you know when Brad and David first came to me, it was it was just video games they were doing. They weren't mm-hmm. doing movies, so it was they were coming to me saying, "Okay, we want you to write the story behind this video." And so that was that was actually fun too because it was a com- you have to completely unplug the way the way your brain works to, to write a video game because mm-hmm. it's each each level is a story within itself, and then the cutscenes that tie them all together is a story, and so it's actually great fun. But at the same time, a lot there's, you know, what I found was the uh, the guys who were actually animating the movies didn't like the idea of Hollywood coming to play in the sandbox. Sometimes, sure, there was there were some uh, there were challenges sometimes, but that's normal. Yeah. 
right, well, uh, Brian, you got yep. anything else? No, I think I think we're ready for the uh, the end game now. All right. So uh, we like to we like to end with a little bit of a questionnaire, uh, inspired Harper. by the uh, the one at the end of the uh, Inside the Actor Studio. Um, Are you so serious? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and that's not just for you. Not just because no, you're a writer. We, no, we do this for everybody. <laughs> I, just, I, have, I used to I used to have the answers, and I haven't thought about that one in a long time. So now I don't. Have that's well, right. okay. These They're all different. different. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. Just inspired. Uh, so, yeah, just that's inspired it. Inspired by. Okay. The answer to my fir- the first one is anal. That's right. <laughs> Correct. I'm gonna mark that down. Correct. Okay. So first question. Yes. Um, and since you you have a, a a good background in games, I can I can ask the game portion of this. Um, who is your favorite protagonist in video games? I mean, Who's your favorite boring. good guy or anti-hero? It would certainly be boring to say Noriko, but uh, <laughs> probably Noriko. Although, <laughs> who would jump out more than that? She was the most fun for me to play. Uh, I mean, I the thing is, I actually really enjoyed Lara Croft. Hmm. Uh, it was one of the... Because I remember... New, new or old Lara Croft? Uh, oh, definitely okay. Uh, yes! Finally! Yeah, I... I Somebody I, else! No, I, I really I, I really liked the character, and I liked... Uh, who else would jump out? Um, I can't... You know what? It would probably be America. Yeah. Okay, well, you know. Personal bias aside, I can accept that answer. <laughs> I mean, unless we wanted... Unless we wanted to go with my, uh... You know, with my non-elf period. But I don't think that counts. <laughs> Uh, so next question. Uh, next question flips that coin. Um, who's your favorite bad guy? Uh, favorite bad guy. Favorite video game bad guy. Uh, think about. It. Do I have time to think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, you know, we won't not... even play any like Jeopardy music for you. All right. Because it's not. Uh, not going on. It's. Um, the thing is, the games that I the, the games I played the most were games where you're just killing masses of things. Hmm. And, uh, I did like the I can't remember his name. I loved the end boss in uh, in uh, Castle Wolfenstein when it was rebooted years later. Did you ever play that? The one you go down where Hitler's trying to basically raise the dead. Oh yeah, the um, the the yeah. demon wizard yeah. guy. Yeah, I can't remember the name, but that was that was my favorite, probably my favorite battle fight sequence. Uh, that sounds fantastic. I've never played that one, but that's that sounds both extra Wolfensteiny and just great out on its own. There's actually another Wolfenstein coming, right? Uh, it just came out. It just uh, came out this year. No, no, no. Like really? Yeah. Yeah. What what platform? Uh, everything. All of them. Yeah, uh, Xbox, PlayStation, new Xbox, guess, new PlayStation, and PC. I guess we know what I'm doing tomorrow. Yes, <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's yeah. it's fantastic. Oh, I knew. See, that's how behind I am. I knew it was coming. I just didn't know it was oh, perfect. That's awesome. All right, well, let's end this. <laughs> Calm down. Um, uh, next question: um, What's your least favorite th- trope or theme uh, in video games today? Least favorite? Yeah, least favorite. What would you like to see kind of go away? I don't know. Give me some examples. What? What do? Oh, you mean like like um, killing zombies, or do you mean like uh, yeah. uh, like? Everybody kind of has their own definition of trope, so we try not to define it because generally, when we give examples, people just use one of those examples. <laughs> but uh, anything from. Uh, zombies to red barrels to. Oh, we're uh, go with zombies because that's that's the one thing that I'm the most tired of seeing in, in games because okay. I'm just tired of killing the unending horde of zombies. I mean, I like I like games where where things keep coming at you, but I also like when as you get deeper and deeper into the game, things change up a little bit. I I mean, I appreciated the uh, uh, Resident Evil because at least they the, they changed a little. Mm-hmm. Now it just feels like it's just hordes and hordes of the same thing coming at you over and over. And although they do throw a boss in every now and then, it's, it's not enough. But yeah, I, a, zombie I like, is, a zombie is a zombie is a zombie. Yeah, and I like I like 
you know, I've always appreciated any story that changes, any game that changes, and, uh, you know, any game that takes you in a different place. I mean, I, I appreciate the nostalgia involved, but, you know, take me somewhere different. Tell me a different story. Take me on a different adventure. Sure. So no zombies. No zombies. Done. I like Done. it. Uh, next question. Uh, and and this fourth question, we kind of like to ask the same thing to everybody. We don't ever kind of tune it at all. Um, who has been your favorite character to write? Uh, the accountant from Drive Angry. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Although, you know what? We, uh, I mean, I guess that does that does it need to be a movie that you've actually seen? Because no, whatever. I, because the if you want to go real have, obscure, go for it. Well, this isn't real obscure. It's just regret. We wrote uh, after Drive Angry. No, no, right before Drive Angry, we wrote Halloween 3D to follow uh, Rob Zombie's Halloweens, and uh, that was writing writing for those characters these iconic characters because you know as far as I don't have a favorite movie but I have the three movies that sort of made me what I am today and that's you know without a doubt Halloween Alien and Jaws and Halloween was one of those movies that influenced me at such a young age that to then be able to write those characters and to do you know Rob Zombie's Halloween I don't know if you guys saw it but it it uh, it sort of made a different sort of uh, of Michael Myers it made a, a T-Rex out of him and we were sort of returning it back to what John Carpenter had created. So, uh, so we start with Rob Zombies and we change them up a little bit along the way. And so uh, that was so much fun to write. And I can say that because Tyler Main, who played uh, played the Rob Zombie, uh, Michael Myers, me and I are buddies. <laughs> in fact, I was just uh, amazingly inebriated with he and uh, Derek Mears, who plays Jason in the, in the most recent Friday the 13th, uh, over the weekend. <laughs> oh, we were so, so drunk. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler drank so much wine. I drank so much rum, and and uh, Derek was drinking uh, sake. Wow! You know, I like I like the idea of Jason just sitting back with a bowl, uh, uh, a bottle of sake. I like that. Well, it was a lot of we when uh, I first stopped at uh, Tyler's house uh, ages ago. He said, "Yeah," and he's like, "Derek, he lives right over there." He was like, "He's, he's two blocks away," and I said, well, "Why aren't we toilet papering his house?" <laughs> and so, and so we've all been best buddies since. <laughs> yeah, that that like reminds uh, Jerry Seinfeld does a uh, like comedians in cars getting coffee, and yeah. it, one of his episodes he does he goes uh, he he goes and has coffee with uh, with Carl Reiner, and they're talking, and he goes, yeah, you should come over to my house tonight. Mel Brooks stops by every night so we could watch Jeopardy, and that's just that's exactly <laughs> I, I like I like picturing. Uh, like Michael Myers and Jason just kind of sitting buddy buddy on a couch just flipping through channels and, and maybe stumbling upon like one of their own movies and going ugh alright <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's or pretty much how it is. A house. that's like that's fantastic that, and well, it, I, that I, writes itself well I stopped by Friday night because uh, I challenged Tyler to uh, the ice bucket thing and I had been challenged mm -hmm. and so we ended up because it's California and we're in a drought we ended up using blood but um but that works for us, for our needs. And so then Derek, Derek came by after he was, uh, I forget what he had, he had something that night, so he came by, and so we ended up getting lit. That's, that's sort of the standard. Is, uh, a lot of times it ends up with us try, trying to get rid of a body, but we didn't have to that night. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I imagine that's uh, a lot more difficult to do. So. Well, they're pretty big, so as far as carrying bodies, that's kind of easy. <laughs> sure, sure. There, there are some as, long, as long as you've got a uh, a trunk big enough, I guess. Then yeah, we have a big enough trunk. But you'd be surprised how much duct tape we go through. <laughs> it's more than you'd think. I, I would think three <laughs> rolls. Well, yeah, but see, the good thing now is you have you, you know if you go to Home Depot, you have such a big selection of color with the duct tape, so That's that can be true. a lot. That makes that makes disposing of bodies a lot more fun. Sure, old, sure. old school, it was just the silver. Yeah. Like, push right, but it's silver. Yeah. Okay. All right, Brian, you, you should ask another question before. All right, so, so the next question is, is going to be what, what other profession would you like to try? But honestly, I'm going to skip that one because you're not allowed to do anything else. All right, perfect. <laughs> so they, we're going we're gonna to move on to, to the question after that, which is uh, have, have you seen, you've had to have seen Escape from LA? 
Oh yeah. Excellent. It's another one. That's yeah. that is the first person that has answered as if it's like, well, of course. why wouldn't I have? As you should have. Yeah. If, so if uh, if you had asked me who my favorite character was in a uh, in a movie, I would have probably said Snake. Absolutely. It would have nice. been it would have been between Snake or uh, Jack Burton or. Uh, no, I'd probably because I could go to the thing, but no, I think it would be Snake or Jack Burton right. from Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, <laughs> so very Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm, I'm very yeah, I'm very a man crush on Kurt Russell. No, yeah, no, except, for, except for Sean Connery, the Bond years, but beyond that. <laughs> so outside, so so at the end of at the end of uh, of Escape from L.A., Snake comes into possession of the the little remote control for all the satellites that will doom the world in, with a big EM, EMP pulse. Yeah, I would push that button. Are you kidding? Yeah. So, I'd push it right now if you gave it to me. <laughs> that, well, that's, that's how we, that's how so we would end this podcast. Then, before you, you, you're given the remote, and before you get to push the button, you're, you're kind of locked in a warehouse and you're set, it, it, that's got every video game imaginable, and you get to spend the night playing what game before you doom everybody? Okay, can I invite friends to play the game with me? Can it Absolutely. be like a co-op? Sure. Yep. Can it be? Oh, it's definitely Quake 2. We go back to old school, we network all our computers, we get all the guys back together, we get all the, the booze we can find, and we just frag each other until I push that button. <laughs> Which probably means when I get when I get rocket launched and die, that's when that's when it all that's ends. That's it. This is done. We're done. Okay. That's perfect. Uh, most permanent rage quit ever. Yep. Sorry, guys. Everybody's screwed. I like it. Uh, final question. Um, at the end of our lives, uh, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad is waiting there for us with the Book of Our Deeds, um, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? You did good. That's what he says to me, not I see. Yeah. <laughs> you did good. Life's a journey, boys, but it's been fun. Where's that button? I'm going to push it. <laughs> Here's your button. <laughs> That's it. I, uh, I, I love it. You passed. Well, thank uh, you, sir. Thank you so much. It has been my pleasure. Well, we should- uh- Thank you as well. We, we should do it again. Uh, but um, before we do it again, we need to, to finish this time. So if you could just send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about Heavenly Sword. Uh, HeavenlySword.com. Uh, it comes out September 2nd. Uh, it comes out on Blu-ray. It comes out on uh, DVD and then all the assorted uh, digital download sites, iTunes and so forth. And... Uh, I don't know if we're getting any sort of limited release. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I saw it in theater, and I liked it in theater. But uh, it, uh, and then, um, and then, uh, I think that's uh, that's it. But uh, <laughs> go, I hope you enjoy the movie and uh, go go uh, play the game again. All right, love the game. Yeah. Thank you so much, and uh, have a good night. All right, thank you guys.